Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hey, hey, Radically Loved family, guess what? I am so excited to bring you a very fun conversation today between the amazing Rosie Acosta, the creator of this uh, amazing community and podcast, and her best friend, Sahara Rose. This is going to be a recast from the Highest Self podcast, which is Sahara's podcast. And for those of you longtime listeners, you are familiar with Sahara and all of her amazing goddessness and the community she has created over there at Highest Self Podcast. So we welcome her back. And this conversation today is really fun to just tune into whether you are in a relationship uh, for a long time, if you are single, if you are looking for a relationship. Rosie and Sahara talk all about the science of attraction. Um, and Sahara shares some really interesting data and um, studies around the science of attraction. So I'm excited for you to hear that. Um, and then dating as a conscious person and what it looks like to date in our current day landscape for Sahara. And then what it looked like, um, I loved listening to Rosie talk about, you know, back in the day when she was dating um, Tori and I had the similar experience of dating my husband, Jorge, we like went out. There weren't, I don't remember there being dating apps back then. And yeah, I know I'm aging myself, but like we, uh, that just wasn't even a thought in my mind. So it was funny to hear Sahara react to Rosie's recounting of that. Like, how did you know that people weren't rapists and like stalkers and dangerous? And <laughs> so, I mean, I say that with like a grain of salt, right? Like it's just what a different landscape it is dating in the world today. And so, yeah, <laughs> I think this episode is for you, whether or not you're in a relationship, out of a relationship newly in a relationship, um, or just thinking about like, what is, what is attraction all about? This episode is chock full of fun, interesting information. So I hope you enjoy the science of attraction and dating as a conscious person with Sahara Rose and Rosie Acosta. Long relationship. So that to me is like, I bow down. I don't know how, guide us. And for me now coming out of a seven-year relationship and being single, I'm like, oh my God, like what do I not know about and how can I teach myself like how to be more wise and intuitive? But there's also the people that you're attracted to and we have our types. And I've been really pondering like why? 
why are we attracted to certain people and not others? And how are the people we are attracting to shifting as we go through a healing journey? That you may have had your type when you were 20 years old and your self-worth was like down in the shitters, you know? And then you might have your type when you were 30 years old and you're looking for stability. And then you have a type at different stages of your life. So your type changes with time. And we also read a lot of books, so we're not also just making it up. So we're gonna be referencing to a lot of different books that we've read in our own personal experience experience. So without further ado, let's welcome Rosie Acosta to the Highest Self Podcast. I pretend I'm Latina around her. She is. She's a part of the Latina I'm gang. Invited to the taqueria. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look Latina, so you Gracias. definitely can pass yeah, for sure. And vale. yeah, hablas español y tienes el corazón de Latina. Sí, yeah. eso es. Vale. Okay, so what makes you your highest self? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I was thinking about it while I was driving and getting irritated with the like snippet of traffic that I had because I was like, you know, I want to get in the zone. I'm about to do this podcast, and I... I know I'm going to be with you and obviously it's chill for me, but I was thinking, okay, I know she's going to ask this question. She asks it all the time. And I think the first thing that comes to me is just being honest, right? And that is one of the biggest keys and foundations to our relationship is our ability to be honest and not feeling judged in any way. And I know that I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite teachings from Mark Nepo, he talks about this in the Book of Awakening a lot and a couple of his other writings, that when we love somebody, all of who they are is welcome. And I was thinking about you, I was thinking about us and our relationship, and I really feel that. I know that all of who I am all the facets are welcome. All of me. All of you. We're just going to keep referencing songs. This is literally what happens yeah. all day long. But so, yeah. So for me, that's what. I love your curves and all your edges. <laughs> but it's true. And that's ultimately what we want in relationships as well. We want to be met in our entirety. And I realized for me in our friendship, it's like, if I'm being met on such a deep level in my friendships, why would I not desire that in my relationships? And I feel like a lot of us women, especially we compartmentalize. Yeah, We're like, okay, I'm going to have be met in my friendships and get all my needs from all my girls. But in my relationship, whatever, he's a dumbass. He's not going to be able to even have this conversation. So then our standards just go so low. And then we're feeling unfulfilled. We're feeling unseen. We're feeling unmet. And we're wondering what else is out there. And it's and it's a two-way. It's like we're also not being vulnerable and opening ourselves up and having those honest conversations with the men either. So we're kind of expecting them to show up in this way that we've never even opened ourselves up to. So then we're in this dynamic that neither of us are feeling met. Exactly. Why do you think that is for you personally, why do you think that you've not allowed yourself to be your full self in romantic relationships? Ooh, is this therapy? What's going on here? No. Let's go deep. We okay, go deep. let's go deep. For me, when I tune into that, it's that 
like, for example, having a dad that was like very focused on work and drive, that that became my model of men, that men are good providers. They're good at, you know, being the stability of the family. But am I going to get my emotional needs met from him? No. Like that's who I would go to my mom for, who I would tell about my life and this and that. And I feel like a lot of us, that core wound does come from the father wound. And that father wound is often there because men have been expected to be unemotional and disconnected and just be the providers. And they're doing what they were taught to do by their fathers. So I've noticed that in the past, I was like, okay, here's what I need from a man. And like, he, he needs to meet me emotionally, but like 60% is good enough. And then I would get the rest from my girls. And now I'm like, no, I'm only calling in a true relationship where I can be my full self, where I can be met, where I can learn and not just be in the teacher role. But that fear comes of, will I ever find someone to meet me there? And I think that's where a lot of women settle. Yeah, they settle in that space of, well, I'm getting exactly just enough, like just enough of what my requirements are, what my worth is, and that's going to be okay because I don't actually know that I'll find somebody that can fulfill all of those. Actually, you know, thinking about it, because I always like to look at the paradox, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, but what's the opposite of that? What is the opposite of that checklist that I've created for my partner? What is the opposite? What is my role in that checklist? What is the checklist that I am going to check off for the other? And also, if I'm very rigid in my expect, not even expectation, in my prerequisites for this person, am I then limiting myself to something that potentially could be really good for me? right? We were talking about this the other day on the power of, yeah, manifesting your soulmate or what are the ways that you can manifest those right relationships into your life? And we had this really great voice note dialogue where we went back and forth. And I, I've been thinking about it a lot because I really, look, I love both concepts, right? This idea that we somehow can set a fertile ground for us to attract the right partner in our life. We do the work, you're able to set that ground, that space for that person, that magical unicorn that you've written down and vision boarded and listed to come in. But at the same time, I feel like one of the biggest issues that I have with that is that sometimes what manifestation, sometimes when we go into this ideology, we forget that there's also action and effort involved. We solely rely on the ability to manifest this person, right? So I'm curious for you if if you've also been thinking about that or if you're still on, on board with what your thesis was at that point and if you're comfortable sharing what you thought. Sure. Yeah. You know, with eye. when I was in my early 20s, I like drew this picture of like my God man. I've shared about it on the podcast. I was like, this, these are his qualities and his age and his ethnicity. And this is what he does for work. And this is how we spend our weekends. And I'm like, these are all the factors. And I actually did manifest that, you know? So it actually really did work. However, now my list has shifted. And it's not about that person and who they are, but it's about our dynamic in the relationship. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like so many of us, we focus so much on who that person is. What does he do? What does he look like? All of these things. And ultimately what you're left in a relationship with is the dynamic. Is my friendship with you based on the fact that you're Mexican or that you are an author or this or that? Like those are factors about you, but it's not what our relationship is on. Our relationship is on that you're able to hold space for me in my toughest times and that we're able to have fun together and that we're able to go deep. And so now these are the things that I have written down. But as I go into like every single month, I find myself losing and losing those as well because we can only manifest based on what we know at this moment of time. And as we gain more awareness, as we do more healing work, that thing that I might've been calling in in January is like totally not what I would be calling in right now because I have shifted so much. So now I'm like, I just trust and surrender to the universe, God, like the beings that are creating something so much larger than me that whoever's meant to come into my life for whatever lesson will. I do think there is the balance though of having standards you know, because I see sometimes you can go the other way of like, well, I'm just in love with this person and love wins. And it's like, it's so easy for us, especially when we're single to just like want to go back into love and just do whatever we can. And we're like, yeah, you know, like I heard this really good analogy when I went to this, this workshop when I was like 24 years old. And it's always stuck with me of, let's say you're really craving sushi. And the sushi restaurant doesn't open until 6 p.m., but you're really hungry and it's noon. So you're driving around, you see this like burrito shop and you're like, hey, like I'm really hungry. I'm just going to get a little snack for now just to hold me over until the sushi comes. And you're like, okay, I'll get a burrito, but can you wrap it up in seaweed instead of tortilla? And they're like, yeah, I guess we could do that. And it's like falling apart. You're like, you know what? Can you also replace the chicken with some like salmon sashimi? And they're like, we don't have salmon sashimi here. And you're like, no, 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 we'll make it work. And that's what so many of us do. We're trying to make the burrito into sushi and then 6 p.m. comes and we're so full because we've been eating this burrito that we didn't even really like. Yeah. And I find so many of us, we're like, okay, I'm just going to be in this situation ship for now, you know, because I need love, I need intimacy, and it's just going to hold me off until I meet my guy. But you're not looking anymore. You're not energetically opening up your field anymore. There's such a different energy when you're like completely single and sovereign on your own than even when you have someone you're talking to that then you might have met the person. They may have walked right by you, but your eyes were completely blocked from seeing them. So I have found also the further I go along on my single journey, I'm like, I will only, it's like, I'm not going to lower my standards out of like the fear of being alone. In fact, I'm finding more and more joy and, and freedom and, you know, deepening lessons that I would only learn from being alone. And then the paradox of that is there's never going to be that perfect person. So eventually there's going to be some form of not settling, but like compromise. And I remember before I was like, I don't like the word compromise because I believe in a win-win situation. And I do ultimately think a win-win situation is best, but even in you, and I'm curious for you and your 20 year now relationship, and he's such a beautiful man. You've shared with me, if you saw him on a dating app, you would not have said yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, damn, like, you know, and it's like, you just see these two dimensional people in their pictures and they're they're like, I don't know, he, he's a musician, like looks like this could work. And it's like, that's maybe not who you would have vibed with in real life. So how do you see like your standards and then this relationship that you're in now? Yeah. And I love everything that you're saying. And this is one of the reasons why I love having these conversations with you because you're able to reflect. You have the awareness to be able to reflect and see both sides. And I feel like that's what a lot of us out here in the world 
miss sometimes that opportunity to really slow down and reflect on every decision that you're making, every choice, every swipe. Every choice that you make is either getting you further towards alignment or further away from alignment. And so I think for me, and yes, I've shared this and I've said it to him before, and not that Tori's not a hot guy. Outwardly, of course, I would be attracted to him, but if I were to see a profile or like a... Tinge. He's like interest Home Depot. Yeah, it's like, I know. And, and her and Pick I make... some things around the house. Yeah. We make fun, you know, but it's true. It's like, I like to be at home with my dog. Like he is so insular and so... Just, I can't even imagine him making a dating app. Right? Can you? And let's also just like, let's put a pin on just like dating apps and like the energies behind Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, but so I would not have been... If it was now today, 2023, I wouldn't have even, you know, I would have just kept going because I would see just the external, right? It, We are 3D, 5D, however you want to see it. We are multifaceted beings and we're just making an assumption on somebody's multifacetedness on a two-dimensional App. Which is so, because I've even realized it too, because you helped me make my profile, <laughs> which was very nerve wracking for me. And even just the pictures that you choose makes people think you're a completely different person. Yeah. How much you write, you know, can make you come off as a completely different person. So they're not actually even getting to know a good reflection of you. And most of us are not even good at making these profiles, right? So it's like, whatever mood you were in that day is what people are going to think you are. That I could put like all my spiritual pictures and me like in Egypt and people would have one perception of me. I could put me DJing and twerking in Trinidad. They'll have another perception of me, mm, but it's that's like- That's my I'm... personality that I would, I would swipe on that. <laughs> <laughs> but then they would be entering into a dynamic thinking, oh, this girl's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing on that. It is a part of you. So if somebody swipes on your spiritual stuff, then all of a sudden you're coming out and twerking and DJing. And then they would be confused. So it's hard to show all sides of you when you have like five pictures in one sentence. (laughs) Right. And I think that that's the part where I feel like every single app out there needs to have a disclaimer to say, you're seeing just a 0.001% of this person's being. You're only seeing, and also, hi, you're seeing only the parts that I want you to see, which, you know, for some people are, they're really good at showing a story and other people, you know, like Tori is an incredible man. He's a husband material. He's been since day one. That man would not know how to create that profile for himself, you know, and somebody could just see him and be like, no, like he just looks boring, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and he's so not. But I think that that's part of that dynamic where I, you know, you and I talk about this. And I think I, I talk to a lot of my students about it, too, that are single and in this world of swipe culture and how confusing it is, how depressing it is, how overwhelming it is. And sometimes I think a little distance from the swiping is not, it's just like social media, right? We take social media breaks. Yeah, I've decided I'm deleting this app, by the way. (laughs) Oh, great. Okay, great. But, But that's, you know, sometimes I think we just need breaks. Like, I think the part that we forget, back in my day, I'm going to date myself now, back in the day, we met Pete, and I'm almost 10 years older than you are, right? So when I was single, we met people out in the world, 
how did you know if they were murderers <laughs> or rapists, stalkers? Well, no, you still don't. I mean, but back then, you still don't know now. Totally. You know, it, it, there is no, all you can do now is you have access to more information, which sometimes I feel like kills that mystique. It's like, yes, there are predators out there. That is true. And they could be on the app or they could be in real life. In fact, yeah. probably in real life, you could feel their energy a lot more than someone's profile. Yes. And that's the thing. Back in the day, you can go to the mall or you can go to a bar or you can go to a concert you can go see a show, you can go to a comedy show and you're looking around, scanning people. You're, you're observing, you're, you're this naturally what we do. We're clocking the room because we are, we are animalistic, right? We're looking for that energy that aligns with where we are. But here's the paradox of that, that I've noticed. And we're just going to keep going. Okay, we're going to keep going. This is going to be. But there's something that's like this desperation of going out to meet someone. Okay. Tell me more about this. I feel like a lot of girls, I don't know if guys do it, of like they're getting ready, hoping like tonight he's going to be there. And the moment they walk into the bar, wherever they're going, they do the scan. Is he here? Oh, he's not here. And then their mood goes down because they were only out to find the guy. So I feel like sometimes where these apps are helpful for people is I don't need to like force myself to go out somewhere I wouldn't want to go just in the hopes of meeting someone. Yeah. But still, you're going to be disappointed because the expectation is there and expectation is just exactly. premeditated resentment, right? Yeah. So, and that's why you should just go places that you would just want to go regardless so that yeah. if you find someone or not, you would want to, to be there. Yeah. But I, I think what you're saying is way more complex are desire, the desperation. Where does the desperation comes from? It comes from a place of not knowing, of not knowing whether I'm going to be alone forever. So it's, it's stemming from a place of fear. And impatience too. And impatience. Because it takes a lot more time to meet someone in real life and going to a lot of places. And, you know, 95% of the time, you're not going to meet someone there, but maybe 5% of the time you will. And then maybe 1% of those is actually going to turn into a, a date or something. Whereas with these apps, you're getting such a high volume of people. You could be going through hundreds of profiles a day and have 10 dates a day if that's what you want to do. But then it's like, a Vegas buffet. Yeah, it's you know, vacant. You're, you're, There's you're no sick. substance. And I find every time I go on these apps, I like literally get depressed after because I'm I'm sad of the way that we have dehumanized each other, the way that I'm judging people, the way people are judging me, the way that we're like selling ourselves to strangers. And then even like the dynamics on these apps, most people don't even talk, you know, because it's like you're kind of texting with this stranger that you have no context about. You're trying to find some common ground on something. You have to keep logging into an app to even have have the conversation, you forget about it. And then I find very few people actually end up meeting in person. I actually haven't even gone to that (laughs) stage yet, but- But I remember in my early 20s when I did, and then it's like that person is just like you don't have a vibe, and then you have to like reject them kind of, and then you have to deal with that. So I feel like that's why also we try to even not meet the person because we're like, I don't want to have to deal with meeting them and it not going well, and then I have to reject them and I'll feel bad. Yeah. So it's hard because like in theory, yes, you could be meeting all these people, but I find these apps, very few people are actually connecting in person. Yeah. And I think that that's the big problem. And look, when we are meeting somebody, when you're single and you're meeting somebody, most of the time that first meeting is you're just looking and scanning for the first thing that you don't like. 
right? You're looking for the wrong answer. How soon before this person gives me the wrong answer? Mm -hmm. How soon before this person gives me the red flag? And like, people write all the time in their profiles. It's like, don't swipe if you're this. And like, I'm not looking for that. And like, don't waste my time. And it's like, they're even coming in with that with defensive that energy. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think, I mean, look, that's not the grounds for a loving connection and a loving relationship. And it's hard. We've had these conversations ad nauseum, many days, many months, many times, even before we've had this conversation. And I think it has more to do with our ability to discern when we need a break from it and what our worth is in, in this single dumb experience. What is my worth? What is my value? What am I looking for? And can I find what I'm looking for within myself first? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I was thinking about too, and I, don't, I know that we've talked about this before, but this idea of finding a soulmate, right? So first of all, what is your belief on soulmates? I believe we have various soulmates in this lifetime and they come into our lives to teach us different lessons that we could only learn through them and through their absence as well. And I think we have different time contracts with them, you know, and also not all of them are romantic. Like you're a soulmate of mine, but we ain't going there. You know? <laughs> My life would be way easier, by the way. I was just like, God, please just turn me into a lesbian. Please I have so many options. <laughs> and then show up, you know. I love that yeah. she's the first conversation I have, though. Anytime anything happens, it's like I'm coming home from a trip and I'm like, this is what happened. By the way, I've not talked to Tori. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, so we can be soulmates. You can have your parent or a grandma and you can have romantic ones. I don't believe in this whole twin flame thing that it's like your soul in another person's body and only this is true love, but you're going to bring out all of the karma from each other because that to me is trauma bonding. And coming back to attraction, I think what a lot of attraction is, is trauma bonding. It's that person feels very familiar to your childhood traumas and they fit into yours. And that's why you're able to make this dynamic work so much because it feels so familiar of like, oh, you're bringing up my wound of not feeling important enough for my father. Perfect. Oh, you're bringing up my wound of having my mother be like really like a helicopter parent. Perfect. I know this really well. Let's be in relationship. And the reason why it can feel so like fireworky and stuff is because it's triggering that trauma that's making you come alive. And now just speaking to a lot of people who are in a successful, long-term conscious relationships, a lot of them did not have that spark at the beginning. And I think that's so huge because we think, oh, if I meet someone, it's either on and like, I know it's them. And it's like, we can't keep our hands off each other or that's not my person. But a lot of these people, they said we were friends for years. And there was never a spark until one day there was, or they were in and out, or some of them even started with one night stands and in weird situations. And I think it's important to note that because we're so used to attraction being this like really like intense chemistry thing when often that chemistry is actually our body's alert to the familiarity of the trauma. There's the science of attraction. Yes. What if instant attraction is just trauma bonding? Yeah. Well, and here's another part though. Yes, it can be trauma bonding. Yes, it can also be soul contracts of like this person and you are meant to do this dance in some type of way. And God is bringing you guys together. And again, it might be to break each other's hearts and learn lessons you could only learn through that. Or it could be to create something, a business together. It could be to move to another place. I find sometimes people come into your life to get you to move somewhere. And then once that relationship is done, they're no longer needed in your life. 
And at the same time, there's a lot of it that's biological, like based on evolution. So here's one thing that the apps don't do. So much of attraction is related to scent. So there have been studies about women on birth control pills. And when you're on birth control pill, your body thinks that it's essentially pregnant. It's not looking to procreate anymore. So the sense that you're attracted to in a man shift into someone with a more similar immune system to you. But when you're not on the pill and you ovulate, you're attracted to someone with the opposite immune system to you because that's going to make your child have the strongest immune system. So a lot of like when you meet someone and you're just so attracted to them and you love their smell is because your immune systems are polar opposites. So in the study, they found that women were meeting people, dating, getting married to these men, and then getting off of birth control to get pregnant. And then all of a sudden they couldn't stand the scent of their husbands. They're like, something about him, I just don't want to be near him. And it was leading to divorce. That they, through this research, they kind of renamed birth control pill the divorce pill because these women were choosing men that had similar immune systems to them because they were on the pill when they met these men. Then when they got off of the pill and they were actually ovulating, it was similar. So their bodies were having this averse reaction that as if it was your family member. And I think that this is really important because if you've only been on birth control the whole time that you've known your partner, there actually might be a shift when you come off. So part of it is that. Part of that is there's a really good book called The Science of Beauty, I think. And it's about like, why do we find certain people beautiful? And a lot of it is based on fertility. So for women, we're attracted to round faces, big eyes, big lips, full hair, almost like baby-like qualities, you know, because it's showing youth. We're attracted to the waist-to-hip ratio. That's showing fertility. We're attracted to glowing skin, having a lot of energy. That means that they have, they're vivacious. They're able to procreate life. And then for men, we're attracted to broad shoulders, angular jawlines, which are signs of testosterone, deep voices. And I really want to talk about voices because that's such a huge thing. For me especially, I, I hear someone's voice and it's like, yes or no? <laughs> because your voice says so much about your embodiment and your testosterone and estrogen levels and just like who you are as a person. So we're picking up on all these cues that you would just not get through an app that you might meet that person and just be like something about them is just energetically repulsive to you. Or you might meet someone that's like not your type at all, but something about them, their voice, their smell, their something is super attractive to you. And then it's the question of, is it the biology? Is it the trauma bonding? And that's like, that's where only time will tell yeah. and being honest with yourself. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love that we're using the science aspect. I think that in that same book, there's the white, the t-shirt study yes. where the men, they're sweating and then they have the women smell to see what smells repellent to them and what smell is attracted to them. So all the men did were was just sweat in these shirts. So they're just smelling sweat, but some women would be like, completely repulsed by the smell and others, same t-shirt, same guy would be completely attracted to them. And most of the women that were attracted to certain smells were also in their ovulation phase. Yes. So, And also women who are ovulating, their sweat is more attractive to men in general. Oh, this is so interesting. So yes. I love the voice experience that you're talking to because I feel also the science of attraction is so layered. It's not just an aesthetic because somebody can be aesthetically beautiful and you're having an experience. And the minute they open their mouth, you're like, this is a no for me. Or the minute that you get near them and you smell them, you might be a little bit no. So I'm curious for you, you said the voice thing is something very important to you. Like 
What is it about the voice that you find so intriguing? Well, I teach about the voice, right? With my Speak With Soul course. So I've been really diving into the voice and then having this podcast for over seven years and hearing my voice again and again and hearing how my voice has changed as, as I have changed. I've really noticed the kind of the correlation between your voice and your embodiment. And I find that when I'm hearing someone's voice, I can tell what chakras they're connected with. So if someone's voice is like way more up here and more nasally and kind of sounds like Steve Urkel when they're talking, like I can just tell they're probably a really heady person and we probably just like wouldn't fucking kick it, you know? <laughs> Whereas like if someone has like a deep voice, you know, I mean, it could be kind of, deep voice. it could be kind of creepy and read like <laughs> soft romantic novels to you. <laughs> or they could be, you know, they're obviously like very like rooted and in their masculine and, and it's like, also about finding your happy medium, I find that the percentage feminine you are is the percentage masculine that that person you will attract. So let's say I am 70% feminine, 30% masculine. I'm likely going to be attracted to someone who is 70% masculine, 30% feminine. So for me, I'm not attracted to someone who's like, yeah, watch football and get her done. Like that's not, I'm, I just can't because I have like I run a business and I have these things that are like in my masculine. Whereas if I was like the cheerleader and I just want to be a housewife, like I might, those people who are like 95% feminine end up with someone who's 95% masculine because it's that polarity. Whereas for me, I find myself attracted to men who are creative and artistic and musicians, which are like have feminine qualities, but they're still in their masculine because I have the ability to create and take care of myself and have that. Whereas some people who are like, 50-50 masculine and feminine, let's say a non-binary person, tend to be attracted to other non-binary people. So as you shift and you step more into, as a woman, you step more into your masculine, and that's not a bad thing. We actually want that. We want to be more integrated within ourselves. We're going to find a man who's more integrated within himself, who's able to communicate, who's in touch with his emotions, who's able to create, who's able to hold space for you. But if you're not able to hold space for yourself, if you're not able to find safety for yourself, and this is what I see, because I'm now reading all these things about like, be a high value woman. And it's like, the man needs to provide the safety and he needs to do this and he needs to do that. And it's like, okay, so you're going to just wait in your life for someone to provide you a sense of purpose and stability and safety and all these things. And you're going to outsource it to another person. Like, good luck with that because it's not going to last because love has its own mind and nothing's guaranteed. So, and then men also, they don't want to feel responsible yeah. now for like, oh shit, I have to be your everything. Yeah. I think that's a big ask for men to yes. take that responsibility on themselves because it's changing now. The male and female and non-binary roles are changing. Everything's shifting. Our, our dynamic is no longer two things, right? So I think it's really something that's not discussed enough, the pressures that men have to be that person. And it was more so back in the day, right? Where men were sort of trained and conditioned to be the, the sole provider and you need to take care of your woman and you need to be able to provide. And I think that, that that's why a lot of marriages failed because I feel like men also want to be met and they also want to be supported. And I'm not saying it has to be an equal dynamic either. I, I think to each his own, you know, I, I know that from, I can only, I guess, speak on my experience in my relationship. I know that 
Tori and I met, we were both career people. We were both working. He has his own business. He's very successful and he's gone through the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. And I had a career at the time. And when I decided I wanted to become a meditation and mindfulness and yoga teacher, I I knew that it was going to be a little bit of a strain for us because I wasn't going to be bringing in as much or any income. And, you know, he really supported me in that time. But, but I just felt like for me, I want to be able to bring something to the table, you know, and I'm not saying financially, but it just feels like in a relationship, there needs to be that that co-creating aspect. I can't just be a trad wife, right? I mean, no offense to any trad wives out there. Have you heard about this? So trad wife, it's traditional wife. It's like a thing. You should check it out on TikTok. So a trad wife, from what I understand, and I went down, and I'm getting these videos because of the shit that I watch with you, by the way. (laughs) So random about relationships, but a trad, it's traditional wife that there's this big movement happening right now where women are really embracing this role of being a traditional at-home wife, at-home mom. They stay at home with the kids and they do the cooking, the cleaning, and they really take a lot of pride in this role. And I think if that's your dharma, if that's your path, if that's your purpose, do it. If you want to be a stay-at-home mom and that's your purpose, do it do it well and do it with love and with with devotion. If your husband is somebody who wants to take care of a traditional wife and wants to have that role and you find somebody that's aligned, great, perfect. You found each other. It's an alignment. It's great. But I just feel like for a lot of women that I know anyway, that's not their way. I didn't grow up around women who wanted to be a traditional housewife. My mom always worked. I always wanted to provide for myself. I wanted to have something, like I said, that I'm bringing to the table. And I know that for me, my partner really respects the fact that I'm self-motivated, that I have something that I'm really passionate about because he has something he's really passionate about. And one of the things that him and I have talked about this before, and I've asked him, like, what we ask each other, well, I'm always the one that's asking the questions, let's be honest, but I'm like, what attracted you to me? Like, what was it about me that you found attractive? You know, obviously Tori has a type, we're not going to go into that. But mm-hmm. aside from the external or the initial attraction, he said that it was my my devotion to whatever I did. You know, he said it, it just, whether you're learning or you're studying or you're working, you fully immerse yourself in whatever it is that you're doing. And that was really attractive to me. And for me at that point, I was 20, I was in my early twenties. So I'm curious if that is the same still for men, are men still really attracted to women who are fully immersed in whatever it is that they're doing that have a purpose that are career oriented? I mean, I would say yes, but yeah, I, I, this is a great question I, I to ask I think it comes men. back to the percentage of masculine feminine. Right. So a man who's like, 90% masculine. He works, he watches football with a beer and like he wants someone to cook and clean and take care of the kids. 
he doesn't have feminine energy within him. He doesn't have creativity. He doesn't have those things. So he needs that from his partner. And then someone who's hyper feminine, she never wants to work. She doesn't like that pressure at all. She would much rather fold a bunch of laundry than have to go on a Zoom call. That's perfect 90, 90%. Whereas, yeah, the more you bring in that other dynamic within yourself, it's like for Tori, he's also an artist, you know, that he is going to respect someone that has it. I think what's interesting is the way that it can change within us. Yeah. So I grew up Persian, like your greatest ambition in life is to be a wife and a mother. So I was taught like, oh, you're going to cut the vegetables. You're going to serve them. Like, like you're going to look good all the time. <laughs> that's what matters in life. That's and, it. you know, and don't get too successful because that's going to be intimidating for men and men don't like powerful women. And, you know, that my whole life, it was like who you're going to marry was like the most important thing. And that's what I thought I wanted in my early 20s of like get married to a successful guy so I could like do volunteer work. Then I even entered my relationship not being, it's like I was writing my book, but I wasn't really making money. I was like coming back from India. I wasn't in this embodiment of it. And then he was looking for someone who was more that role. Then I was shifting and, and he was shifting, but not as much as I was that it's like, you can't go back to a former version of you. It's like yeah. humans are going to evolve, but I can also understand someone's like, well, my expectation of you was to be a stay-at-home wife and that's no longer what you want to be. And I think that's what's tricky, you know, yeah. because we evolve so much in relationships that you're not always with that person that when you met them. That yeah, oh yeah, no, evolve. no, no. And a lot of people think it's like, oh, I need to do all my healing work and then enter into a relationship. But really it's a relationship where you probably evolve like more quickly than anything else. So I have found now within me, like no part of me wants to be the stay-at-home wife cutting vegetables at all. And so I would just de definitely never entertain someone who's looking for that for me because I bring in just my great positive energy <laughs> and my humor and my sexiness and everything else that I bring along. And maybe I'll cut you up some cucumbers sometimes. <laughs> you know, I got bigger things to do you know, on this planet. But let me ask you something. I know you say that, but at the same time... But maybe I'll turn, turn around. I'll be like, yo... I'm just staying home. I'm just staying at home. Casserole, guys. I, I, <laughs> look, I think this is the most interesting thing in our dynamic. I think the mind is a powerful place. Yeah. And we tell ourselves whatever it is that we need in that moment to fill that space and to make us feel good in that moment. But the reality is, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You can meet somebody. And I've seen friends, the moment they have kids, then all of a sudden they're actually like, I want to stay at home with my kids as much as possible. Yeah. And I used to be super career oriented. Then their kids become two years old and they're like, I actually want to do the career again. And it's like, we change yeah. so much. So much. And I think it's allowed. I think we should give ourselves permission to do that and be okay with not having But then what about that final. dynamic of, I thought I married this and you keep changing? Okay. But that's, but look at our relationship. Yeah. You know, it's Tori and I's relationship changes every, every year, every year there is something. I mean, he really went through it with me and I, and I talk about it in, in my book, how I had all these different careers that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to go to culinary school. I wanted to be a ghost hunter. Like I wanted to do so many different careers. You're kind of wearing a Ghostbuster outfit. I know. I, actually, it is kind of like a little work suit. And there's ghosts in this building, by the way. Side note. I think that's a really nice, you know, you have a strong relationship when you can go through the changes yeah. and you get to really see how, who somebody is when you are going through a transformation, right? When you are going through that experience of breaking through that chrysalis, right? It's like the monarch is a little egg. And from the egg, it turns into a caterpillar. From the caterpillar, it turns into a chrysalis. And then it stays in there for 
14 days plus, and then when it's ready, it has to struggle and strain and effort and move and work and work and work to the point of exhaustion to break out of its shell because it needs that strength to fly, right? And so when we are going through that cycle in our relationships, the most important thing is not, oh, is this person hot? Or, oh, is this person good in bed? Or is this person, does this person snore at night? It's, can this person withstand me growing? Can, right? Can and, this And dying. And dying. Because we, we go through our own death cycles. And it's honestly, you're going to die regardless many times in your life and your relationship is going to die. Can you die well? Yeah. Mic drop. That's a tweetable moment. Tweetable moment. But it's true because we think we're entering into the stagnant container of like, okay, this is our relationship. These are our agreements and it's set in stone and it's not because you have two ever-changing beings and then this relationship is a third person that's ever-changing as well. It is an entity that's being birthed on its own and it goes through its own metamorphosis. And sometimes the relationship needs to die, you know, the way that it was before. And often that happens only when you're like at the brink of breaking up or you actually break up that you realize, am I in or am I out? And if I'm in, this is what I need. And this is also how I need to change. And I think most people don't do that. We're so quick to go on to the next and think, oh, it's that person. That person's not it for me. And we go on to another and another, and we never find that person because relationships are never going to fully meet you all the time. Like I have a friend, she's been on this podcast, Lucy. She's this amazing Tantra teacher and she met her husband. They were in their early twenties and they had all this amazing sex. And then he went through this journey of like going through really bad health problems and then becoming handicapped captain. Now he does all these like water baths. And it's like, here she thought she's entering this like super hot sex relationship. And she's like having to take care of him a lot of the time. They've also been together like almost 20 years and they just keep showing up for each other and choosing each other and knowing it's just a season. And, you know, even for me going through my divorce, I was like probably an annoying friend because I'm just processing and talking. Imagine if you were just like, well, screw this. I'm not, you know, she's not as funny anymore. Like I'm out, <laughs> you know, actually I was funnier. But- she was funnier. <laughs> I want to dial her back. Let's bring her back. But it's like, it's a season in a friendship and you go through that wave. And I think we're just so used to instant gratification and everything in our society right now that we don't allow people to go through those waves. So they don't, and they hold it back and then they hold back their growth. And then you're both playing roles. And that brings me back to, like, I've been really looking at like dating and like marriage and it's almost like you date people and you're attracted to people that you like, but then the moment it turns into marriage, it becomes about choosing a role. Of like, oh, are they husband or wife material? And now what that means is they're going to replace my father or mother. They're going to take care of me. They're going to this. They're going to that. And it's like you would choose someone to marry. There's even that game, kill, marry, fuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always like you're going to fuck the hottest one. You're going to kill the annoying one and marry the most stable one. You know? (laughs) Fuck, marry, kill. So with that, why do we choose to marry people? It's like you see people, they're like dating people of like one type and then all of a sudden they get married to someone like from their hometown that they would have like never even been friends with. Yeah. It's like, that's the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so now for me going into this, I don't want to wear different lenses of a marriage material versus dating material versus this. It's like, do I enjoy your company? And let's just naturally see where it goes. Yeah. I love what you said about marriage is fulfilling a role. 
because that's exactly what it is. And I feel like marriage means so many different things to so many different people. And I think that that's where the disappointment can begin. That is the inception of disappointment is the minute that you- It's a good question for people. Like, what does being married mean Yeah, what does it actually mean? And I think that for me, and you know this, I wanted to get married our first seven years of our relationship so bad. And I was, didn't under, and I'm also Hispanic, right? So I'm like, why am I not married yet? This is- an anomaly. It doesn't make any sense. And you had the dress ready. <laughs> I, yeah, I was ready. I had the whole thing. The whole extravaganza was was fully loaded. Pinata was ready to go. Yeah, I was ready. Twenty. Up. <laughs> we should do a pinata per year next next time we plan and cancel a wedding. Um, so yeah, but look, I really had a epiphany in that experience because I realized this man is acting as if. So he doesn't care about marriage. And I equated that he doesn't care about me. But this man is the most loyal, most devoted human being I know, most honest, most stand-up guy, not just to me, but to everybody in his life. He really is that person. I'm going to give up this relationship because of a piece of paper because I want to make it official? What? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I throw away a near, I don't want to say perfect because nothing's perfect, but a near perfect relationship because I'm not getting him to fill that role, right? That role that I think is the end all be all of relationships. Like this is where we're heading. This is where we need to go. And if he's not willing to do that for me, and he's not committed. He's not serious he's not about committed. it. He, he he wants out. Yeah. And old me prior to divorce would have been like, yeah, like if he really wants to be with you forever, why not why have not? the piece of paper? What what's the big deal? Yeah. You know. Oh, and let's talk about this too yeah. because at that time I had so many people in my life saying that to me. Oh, he's not serious about you. He's not, if he, I mean, it's been seven years, babe. He's not going to do it. I mean, if he's not done it this far, like he just, he's probably and never going to do it. what was his reasoning of not wanting he to? He just doesn't believe in marriage. You know, he's not a religious person. He's not a, he has his own spiritual practice, but he's not a dogmatic human being. Tori is like a rage against the machine rebel. I mean, he grew up in a town of 700 people with one blinking light, and he was always the odd man out. And that is who he is to his core. So why would he then decide to step into tradition? And see, this is the other thing that I tell men, women out there who are single. When you meet somebody, believe them who they are. When they tell you who they are, believe them. Don't think, oh, I can change that. We can adapt that. We can- Potential. Yeah. And, and let's I, put a pin on potential though. Oh God. And after our conversation with Jay Shetty, who, oh, is, yes. who is inspiring us. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, so just to seal that, what you were saying about how the point was, I was really affected at that time because I was insecure within myself. That's the truth. I was insecure. And so I needed Because you've been programmed to, if a man is serious about you, he's going to give you the ring and he's going to yep. propose. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> And, you know, tomato, tomato. But yeah, and it's like, look, your relationship has outlasted all of those marriages. Yeah. All of those friends that told us we needed to get married are all divorced, all three of them. Yeah. You know, and to me, I still have a way better relationship with my partner. And hopefully we continue to 
choose each other. Well, it's this fallacy that marriage is security. That like once you married them, you've sealed the deal and it is forever and there's no way it's going to get messed up. And I used to believe that too. And I realized that nothing in life is security. Nothing in life is guaranteed. Whether you have a paper or not, the same traumas, the same dynamics, the same patterns are going to show up. And in some ways, actually being married can make it worse because you're taking each other for granted. You're no longer in this like choosing of like, I can walk away. It's like, oh my God, we had this big ceremony. We have these legal things and we have these things that we're sharing that I've found that a lot of couples stop making as much of an effort with each other once they're married because it's just like, okay, locked and loaded. I don't need to worry about this. But those same issues are going to show up. It just makes the breakup a lot more complicated because now there's like legal papers involved that for me now, growing up with marriage as the pedestal, I would never do a legal marriage again. Because I was going to ask you, yeah, like how, yeah, what do you believe now having this experience? What is your outlook on marriage? I think marriage is a beautiful, like, ceremonial joining of two souls. Like I would do like a spiritual marriage. I love parties. So I would definitely have a party again. (laughs) Probably wouldn't go all out, (laughs) but do it my own way. You know, even at my wedding, I was so concerned with like, you, you were one of my bridesmaids and you saw, but I was so concerned with things like the colors of the flowers. I'm like, it was hot pink. I said coral pink, you know? And it was like this really stressful thing in my mind, you know? Like, what was she thinking? Or like the table name cards were on the wrong tables. I wanted these people to sit together, but those people sat together. And like all these little things feel like such a big deal for you at the time. And then the day passes and it doesn't matter. So like, no, I would never, I would just do it my way and our way and just have friends and community and have it be this multi-day like, festival of our love and celebration, but would I like have to go to the government and get this legal thing involved? No, because that doesn't mean anything. And I get that. Like if, I don't know, I think if someone's never been married before, they, they really hold on to that and it means a lot and I have compassion, (laughs) but sometimes it takes you having that illusion crumble to realize that honestly, love is eternal, but relationships are ever changing. Yeah. And I love that outlook for you. And if I could say one thing about being with you during this experience is that it's been, and I've said this to you, it's been so inspiring to see you really just own it, you know, and and to dive into your healing journey and your transformation and just have that courage to self-reflect and to see, I mean, you look, I mean, I know you share stuff here, but I think people you know, really need to understand the level of your devotion to your growth, you know? And and I think it's, I wish more people would do that, especially when they come out of relationships, you know? Like you and I have been through, yes, we're there for each other and all the good things, but we've also been with each other through, you know, hard times and difficult situations. And, and I think that's another, it's another aspect of, a healthy relationship is to be able to be with somebody through a breakup, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic relationship, to see who they are. The people really show you who they are in the middle of a traumatic experience, right? Or something that's devastating. And I really feel like all of the work that you're doing and all the work that you're sharing here with everybody is is you're living it. And I think it's, it's great that you're able to allow yourself to integrate these lessons. And it's very inspiring because I'm learning so much too in your experience, obviously in my relationship, because if not, I mean, think about how complacent 
two people that have been together for 20 years can be in a relationship. You know, if you don't have people in your life that are constantly growing and showing you who you are, you're going to be stuck and nothing is ever going to evolve. And you're always going to want something more. And I think that breakups can be our greatest catalyst for growth because it shakes up your world and you can choose to like not heal and then probably just keep dating the same person again and again and keep having the exact same dynamic. Or you can choose to not just look at the relationship, but look at yourself and the role that you played in it and how you were in it and how it was connected to your childhood, how it's connected to your ancestral lineage. And I mean, I have been uncovering my entire ancestry through this learning about my grandmother's divorce that I never even knew how to divorce before and the effect it had on my dad and like all of these things that would have never come to surface. It's healing my whole entire family. And they say when we do this work, we also heal seven generations before and seven generations after that I wouldn't have, and it's like, I love who I am and who I'm becoming. And if I didn't have to go through that pressure cooker, yeah, I would have been complacent as well. And I think that sometimes, yeah, when you don't have that breakup, then you remain in that same relationship again and again, and then it ends up drifting. And then you're just living kind of separate lives. And so I'm grateful to be able to share along my teachings with you and, and everyone here listening and know that it my hope is you don't need to have like an on your knees moment to change, you know, that we can start to listen to those little intuitive nudges and really learn from each other's experiences and not have to like, I feel like oftentimes couples don't really communicate until they're like on the verge of breakup. You know, often they don't go to therapy until they really need the therapy. And it's like, how can you start doing it beforehand? A relationship can be good. How can I make it great? How can I make it better and better and better without it having to break for me to really look at it? Yeah. I love that. Let's go back to the potential in Jay Shetty because you put a pin yes, in it and I yes. want to close that loop for yeah. everybody. So we were at a soccer game with my friend, Lily Singh, who's a, she's been on the podcast before. And Jay Shetty was there, who many of you guys know, podcaster and author. And he just wrote a book on love. So we were chatting with him about love and how him and his wife, Rod, he, they're bitten together, married for like 10 years, I want to say. And, you know, we were just talking about dating someone's potential And he's like, well, Roddy dated my potential because when she met me, I wasn't making an income really. And I had just left from being a monk and her family came from wealth and mine did not, but she saw potential in me and she loved being with me and in a way took a risk and she never could have imagined. It's like, she just loved him for him. And here's the difference. She didn't date him for his potential. She dated him because she loved him as he was at that moment of time. And even if he never changed and he was still that broke monk, then she would have still loved him. Whereas some people are like, oh, you might be this job now, but I could see you doing this, this, this. And if you did that, then I would be into you. So that's the difference between dating a potential, whereas she chose him and saw his potential and he ended up growing in this way. However, the dynamic of the relationship changed. She maybe thought she was going to be with someone who was at home all the time and he's traveling around the world and you know, they're still continuing to choose each other. But I think that that's also the important piece of like, yeah. people are going to change and are you going to continue to lean in when it's not what you signed up yeah. for? Yeah, but I think that, yes, yes. And I also know that when you're in that situation, dating somebody's potential, there has to be the components there. There has to be the action and the effort, right? There has to be, I think that's a great way to to key in on whether it'll work for you or not. I can date somebody that, you know, I might not care. It's like, 
maybe I have more means than they do, but they have the potential and they're actively working towards something that is already within itself, already moving towards that path. We're always dating someone's potential because if they this were never going to change, then, then that's what? They're, they're a stagnant person. That's right. But also, if that person's idea never takes off, would you still choose them? And that's the difference. Well, I think here's yeah, I have two examples, and I'm curious to get your take. I had two sets of students. One of them, I was working with her as a coach at the time. She was an actress. He's a screenwriter and they had been together at that point for 10 years. She had just booked a big show. And so she was starting to work a lot. And he just continued to be a screenwriter trying to sell and finish his script that he had been working on for at that point, 10 years. And so again, she stayed, they were in love and they loved each other's families and all of that, but she was really unhappy because she started to feel after 10 years that he was very complacent and he was very jaded and he was very unmotivated. There was no action. There was no effort. It was just seemingly him just saying that he was working on something and her being complacent about him working on whatever he was working on. And it became an issue and, and they ended up separating because, and the separation is what it took for him to actually publish his work. And now he's a big screenwriter working on a big show and they have a relationship now. But at the time it was almost like she saw the potential but they maybe weren't meant to be together. And it took that for him to, you know, that catalyst to propel him to his, his success. Another- So then they got back together? No, they didn't. They just ended up being separate. But her big thing, even now when I've, I've chatted with her is why couldn't he do that? Because, you know, he, whatever, it's the whole thing. Because breakups are the catalyst. Yeah, breakups are the, are the catalyst. He has now remarried and, and has a kid. And, you know, she resents that a little bit because she feels like she put so much into it. And I feel like we're always training our partners for the next one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it really is. And yeah. honestly, if I'm going to be completely honest, the thing that I say to Tori, we say this to each other. We're like, the reason we stay together is because we're just too lazy to go date. Like <laughs> I just would not go on a dating app. And he's like, I would not. And I'm like, I would not. So let's just stay together and let's save ourselves the hassle. And then the other thing yeah, is Yeah, but like, you guys also have hot sex. This Come is on. true. We have... <laughs> Off the chain sex. Can you give us, can you enlighten us? Because I feel like this is actually the, oh my God. let's talk let's about. Let's make sure this is a promo so he can see it yeah, on your let's Instagram. Let's talk about for a moment, keeping attraction going in a long-term relationship. Okay, because yeah. I feel like you guys have really mastered that. Yeah. And what do you think the key is? The key is <laughs> hot sex. So it's having Multiple times hot a week. sex. Yeah. I mean, look, we go through phases for for us, that's our way to connect. You know, I always say this. I'm like, we have nothing in common <laughs> other than we just are obsessed with each other and we have really great chemistry in bed. And I think that that's really healthy for us. It was that same way in the beginning and it's the same exact way now. And the couples I know that have like 10 plus year relationships all say the same thing, that they're prioritizing their intimacy like multiple yeah. times a week. And I'm like, that's what's keeping them connected because in a relationship when you don't have sex for a long time, it's like you just kind of get more irritable with each other. Yeah. You're just disconnected. Oh, yeah. It just creates more of that roommate dynamic. If Tori and I don't intimately connect for more than a week and a half, I cannot stand the sight of him. 
<laughs> like, I don't want to hear him. I don't want to smell him. I don't want to hear him sipping his coffee. Like, I'm just like, you need to just go away. But, you know, when we do have that connection, then it's like, oh, I just, I revere him and I'm obsessed with him. And here's the thing too, after 20 years, you know where all the right buttons are right. and you train them. That's the other, Well, what I was going to say before you asked that question was, one of the other reasons why I stay is because I've trained this man so perfectly well. He is the perfect man, and I am damned. He's the perfect lover for I'll you. I'll be damned yeah. if I let that man go to somebody else. I've put way too much time and effort and energy into his whole experience. I'm not going to take full credit. I mean, he's an amazing person anyway, but yeah. But it's also the full experience for you. Right. Because exactly. that next person might be like, I hate that you do that. And yeah. you have to unlearn and relearn because every single person has different has needs. Has different needs. Yeah. But for us, it's, it's work. And look, communication is key. You know, the reason why we have such great sex is because we always communicate with each other. And there have been lulls. I mean, look, it's been 20 years. There's definitely been moments where we've both not been in great places. And our intimacy obviously struggled at that time because it's hard if you're not, if you yourself don't feel attractive, it's hard for you to connect with somebody else if you're feeling insecure, if you feel just not connected to yourself. Or for him, you know, there was a couple of moments in time where he was going through something really difficult in his business and it brought his energy down. And, and those moments are really difficult, but we've been able to navigate those moments and and come out on top. And I think what we're moving into, like in David Data's work, he talks about the three levels in yeah. in of like consciousness in men and women. So like the first stage, man and woman, is like for women, she's just all about her looks and appearance and finding a rich, successful sugar daddy kind of guy. And for a man, it's all about money and success and power. And that's first stage. Then second stage, it becomes all about like my intellect and my status. And it becomes a lot more like gender neutral in a way of like, I can do anything a man can do. And like a man of like, I don't know, I want to split the bill and like, and like that. And then it's what I think what majority of people are in right now. It's like, no one's really dating. There just isn't really great connection, you know? And then the third stage, so the first stage is like, I need a man or I need a woman. The second stage is I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. And then the third stage is I don't need, but I want. And it's, and for woman, it's the quality of aliveness that's attractive. And then for woman, it's the quality of consciousness and presence that's attractive. So a man who's just very present with you is what you really want. And for a man, it's a woman that's very receptive to you. And like, you know, as you're talking to her, she's really feeling you and she's really feeling herself. And she's, you know, we just did a podcast on Tantra and she was saying like, even just use your sound to be like, I like this feeling or I don't like this feeling because we need feedback. And that's a third. But I feel like we are like collectively moving into a fourth stage, which David Data did not talk about. His books are like 20 years old now, where it's like, you don't need to think about it so much of like, okay, I need to do my polarity practice. Okay. Like I need to come home and change and go on my walk. Cause I think even with the polarity stuff, it's role-playing yeah. and you can't really be yourself. And then you're in your head of like, oh my God, was I too masculine? Was I this? Was I that? And that's a very masculine thing to be thinking about how feminine you are or are not. So I feel like this fourth stage is what you guys are embodying of like, you're naturally having that attraction and you go through ebbs and flows and you guys work together and you spend a lot of time in the house together 
and you make an initiative to go on a trip or spend time apart and do these things. And I feel like that's where we're heading to as a society where we don't, it's like we need to learn and master those things so then we can let go of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's absolutely true. And I, it definitely resonates for us because we do have that dynamic. And look, when you're together 24 seven, there has to be some separation. You have to have that time and space to miss each other. And I think we've talked about this in the past. And when I do feel those moments arise of, okay, I'm getting tired of this person or look, I used to say back in the day, I want to break up with him every other month. Like there's something that happens. And I start to think even 20 years later, is there something else? Is there somebody that's better? Is there somebody that understands me more? Is there somebody out there that I have more in common with? But I think that that's natural. And I and I like to call that out because I, I've talked about it before on my podcast and I had some people that disagreed with me saying that, but it's the truth. The, not to say that there's anything bad with me thinking that. I think we always think the mind always wants what's better. It's the nature of the mind. The mind is a future-making machine. It calculates risks. It's designed to calculate risk and keep you alive and keep you out of danger, not designed for happiness. Mm -hmm. So that's the nature of the mind. The mind is always going to go into future projecting or thinking about the past. So for me to say that those thoughts don't come in, absolutely they come in. You know, I don't act on them, obviously. And if I'm having an issue, I will be the first person to express how I feel. And look, we've been to therapy. We've been on and off with therapy. Like we, we've had a lot of growth, even in the last couple of months, we've had huge spurts of growth. And to me, it's like every year I think I cannot, there's no way I can be closer and more in love with this person. And it happens with every year that passes, we just grow closer and closer together. And it's the same with my friendships. It's the same with my relationships to, to my family. And it could just be aging, right? It could just be, I'm getting older. I'm forgiving more. I My bandwidth is, my bands, as Jason Pfeiffer would say, are widening and I'm able to be with more than I was before. And I think that's the beauty of time and what you talked about before, being patient to whatever it is that that relationship is going to bring for you in the future, right? To be able to really understand what it is that you want, to be able to voice exactly what you want to say, to be able to provide that foundation for that new experience for you. But it all starts with our ability to voice our truth. And I think most relationships could have worked if there was better communication. It's the communication piece. And we're so afraid of communicating because we're so afraid of abandonment. But then that's actually what creates the abandonment because we're living a lie. And what inspires me about your relationship with Tori, and I I love my comment, Uncle Tor. Yeah, um, she does. (laughs) But it's like he doesn't do necessarily the breath work and the ice plunge and the meditation and the, the conscious thing, but he's so conscious in his way of being. And I think so often a spiritual woman, we're like, okay, I need to find a spiritual man. And we look for the external practices, but it's really about, can you show up in difficult times? Can you hold steadfast in times where there is imbalance, you know, when it comes to family members and just situations? Because it's not just a relationship between two of you. You're actually in relationship with their family. You're in relationship with their work. You're in relationship with their friends. And 
he has blown me away by the way that he has been able to just naturally be conscious through these experiences. Whereas a lot of men in the space, they're wearing the freaking, you know, poncho, but they're not, they're not walking the rattle talk. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And it's, and ultimately only going through life experiences and seeing how someone shows up will, yeah. will teach you those things. So I love it. I loved having you on this podcast. We need to do this like every single month. I know. It's like Because we, we share so many just things in our own conversations. Yeah. And the person listening here, you're our third. We love you. Thanks for being our new third bestie. Oh, yeah. We've been looking for a third. We yeah, we've been looking for a third. So here him, you are. For them. <laughs> them, whoever you are. So thank you so much for being on. And where can people connect with you, listen to your podcast, and get your book, Radically Loved? Oh, my goodness. Just go to Instagram, at Rosie Acosta. Everything's there. My links and everything. Just reach out to me and DM me. Amazing. Well, I love you so much. I, love I you met girl. you through this podcast. I know. Guys, I met her because I we were on the same list of like top seven podcasts for yogis by Yoga Journal in 2017. And I was like, hey, let's do a little podcast swap. And I remember like coming over and Tori was there and he was like setting up and making us tea. I was like, oh, such a little sweet man. And, you know, it's been seven years now, yeah. which is crazy. We're going through a growth spurt. We're going through. Can we survive? Can we navigate? Can we navigate? I feel like our sex Stay is tuned. getting hotter. I <laughs> think it is. I don't know. Those voice notes are getting pretty in depth. Getting raunchier. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, please leave a review for it on the iTunes store, and I will send you my womb meditation, which allows you to connect to your womb's wisdom and receive her answers. So instead of thinking in the mind or trying to figure it out with a pro and con list, tune into your womb's energy because she knows. So leave a review for the podcast, take a screenshot and email it over to me at sahara at iamsaharose.com. And you can find that in the show notes and be sure to share this episode. We need more conversations like this. I feel like had I listened to this in my early 20s, I would have definitely saved myself some struggles. And all of us, we're kind of going on autopilot when it comes to attraction. So when we take a moment to really tune in and be like, what am I calling in? What does marriage mean to me? Who am I attracted to? And where is this heading? And how can this work long-term? And how can I communicate to make it work? It's like, all your life problems will be solved right there in this episode. So be sure to share it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. <laughs>